This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, I'm Martin Stark and welcome to the latest edition of the Total Saints podcast. It's where we gather together a panel of Saints experts to discuss all things relating to Southampton Football Club. We stream each episode of PSP Live on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. So if you're watching live on either of those platforms, you can get involved in the conversation using the comments section. Coming up this week on the podcast, reaction to a heavy defeat against Chelsea at St Mary's and a club ambassador steps down from his role. We'll get the guy's take on that. And the games certainly don't get any easier. Arsenal the visitors next in the league. We're going to preview that match. Let me introduce you to our TSP guests this week. Let's start with Glenn. Glenn de Lacour is the writer of the weekly Saints blog, League One Minus 10. And I noticed the blog's up already, Glenn. You couldn't wait to, to get that one published. Yeah, it was a case of purging um, after after yesterday. I, I thought it was, a, it was a good chance to sort of cap, capture the anger. I was trying, I was trying, to, beat, trying to beat Dan. You know, I was trying to be like a proper journalist and actually get me stuff out on time. But uh, no, it was uh, no, it wasn't that at all. It was just a case of I was I was kind of angry about it and I wanted to purge my soul as quickly as possible. And after we've spoken about it tonight, I never have to think about this game ever again. Is it a kind of therapy? Just to get yeah, exactly. Paper, get Ex- exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. I mean, I used, I used to kick the cat, but I've got a cat now. No, I didn't. I didn't used to kick the cat. That's the Kurt Zuma thing. I don't. I never did that. But uh, no, it, it just yeah, just. Sometimes it's nice just to get things out when they're um, when they're fresh in your memory and uh, yeah, and not dilute it too much. Because sometimes I find after a particularly horrendous game, by the time you know this slot comes around, I mean you know we're recording now Sunday seven fifteen. Uh, it's kind of diluted somewhat, but uh, but I didn't feel like diluting yesterday because it was absolutely atrocious. Mm. Also with us, Dan Sheldon is the Athletics dedicated Saints reporter. Have you got one eye on the golf tonight, Dan? Is the Open on there? Will we, uh... No, it, it, I mean, it's not the Open. It, it's Augusta. Augusta, sorry. <laughs> it's the Masters. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you're not a, an avid golf watcher. Uh, it will be on in the background. Good, Although right. it is, unless Scheffler drops a few shots, it's, it's all but over. <laughs> uh, and look who's back this week. The band are back together. Steve Grant, owner of Saints Web. 
how was the cricket? How was Wembley? How was your time away? Um, you chose a good week to be back. Let's yeah, great, great time to return, us. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, how was the cricket? All good? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was really good. Uh, yeah, nice, nice relaxing holiday. Drunk far too much rum. <laughs> uh, yeah, ate, ate far too much food. So I've actually, normally when I go away on holiday, I usually come back and I've lost weight because I've been walking around all the time. But no, I've still piled some more on. So that, that needs some work come, coming up. But um, no, it's a good, good trip. I mean, fairly predictable end from a cricketing perspective. I mean, was it one win in 17 tests now, which is absolutely extraordinary for a team with that much money thrown at them. But Hey, I, we'll we'll see how see how the summer goes. But no, it's a no, it's a good good trip. Good. Well, it's good to have you back. Uh, as always, the biggest hello and thank you is reserved for our patrons. So, whether you're listening or watching this week, welcome to episode one hundred and ninety three of the Total Saints podcast. This is the Total Saints podcast with Martin Stark, Steve Grant, Glenda Lacour, and the Athletics Dan Sheldon. Now, some exciting news before we start this week. We're going to be hosting a live podcast in Southampton for our 200th episode. It's going to be our end of season roundup, so featuring all the usual stuff, uh, plus a Q&A with the panel and the Saints Foundation are going to be hosting an auction of memorabilia. Tickets are available to purchase now if you're a TSP patron in our £10, our £15 and our £20 tiers. You're entitled to a discount, so we've shared the discount code in your patron private messages, so just uh, check in there if you haven't done so already. The entire event, is going to be supporting the Saints Foundation. 100% of the ticket proceeds are going direct to them. If you're interested in coming along, you can find the link to the event in the description for the podcast, and we're going to be sharing that on our socials over the next few weeks. The date for the diary is Friday the 27th of May. Doors will be open at 7. The podcast gets underway at 8, and we're going to be at Five Rivers Sports Bar in Beavers Valley. So it'd be great if you can make it there. And Mark Atkins, who watches every Sunday, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Mark. And I hope the result didn't ruin your weekend too much. We can't put it off anymore. Uh, one to forget yesterday, for sure. So we're going to spend 20 minutes talking about it. A 6-0 defeat at home to Chelsea. Do you want to go first, Glenn? What upset you the most about uh, the result yesterday? <laughs> Um, that was a big it, sigh. Yeah, it it was it was awful. Um, it was insipid. It was gutless. It was spiritless. There was nothing about it that was any good. We didn't do the basics that you have to do to win any football match against any opposition. You know, you've got to you've got to close teams down. You've got to go with runners. You've got to win your headers, win your tackles. We didn't do any of that. So I'm not interested in how good Chelsea were, and they they were very very good. We would have lost to absolutely anybody yesterday with with that mindset and and that type of performance. It was it was just atrocious. I don't think, apart from Fraser Forster, maybe Kyle Walker Peters, I don't think anyone came out of it with any credit. Ralph certainly didn't. He made mistakes as well. I didn't understand it right right from the lineup at the start. We three at the back has worked really well against Chelsea in the past, and he didn't go with that. We started off the game, we had a little flurry at the start, and then Timo Werner missed, hit the post twice. That should have been the signal to change things around. While it was still nil-nil, whilst we'd got away with absolute murder, because he's, he's hit the bar from five yards, hasn't he? That, would have, that should have been the point to change it, to maybe, I don't know, drop Romeo into the back three or, and, or some, something. And eventually, it, we're 4-0 down before any changes get made, by which time it's, it's damage limitation, which... I'm not sure the changes that we made limited the damage or, or the fact that Chelsea have got to play Real Madrid on Wednesday and they just 
they just phoned it in for the last for the last half an hour. Um, there certainly didn't seem to be much much change at the start of the second half when we shipped in another two goals. So I was getting strong Leicester vibes all the way through it. I think at three nil, it's three nil twenty minutes, and at that stage I was thinking this this is exactly the same as the Leicester game where even before the the incident where Bertrand got sent off, you could tell we were going to get hammered, and and. It, it just seemed like we had we had no belief that we were going to do anything other than get beat, and we just we just stood there and let them play. And there was a there was a lack of in game management from the players and and from the manager, and it was just atrocious. And it was one of the least unenjoyable was that a word? One of the most unenjoyable games I think I've ever sat through. It was just just from about fifty minutes onwards, I just want this to end, you know. And I, I looked around at me at my son and my dad, and I thought if either of these want to go. You know, want to leave? Then, We're off. <laughs> then I'm right behind them. But I wasn't going to say it first because I know Dan would have winched me for that. So um, <laughs> I, I kind of, I could, yeah, I kind of, I was looking at him going, "Come on, should we do it?" But, Shall we? Um, yeah. But no, we stayed to the end again, and we lost six 0 and it was absolute crap, from, really, from start to finish. Tough one to watch yesterday, wasn't it, Steve? Yeah, not a great return for me. Um, <laughs> it's and, your fault. Yeah, and obviously having. Obviously, coming down from London meant that I was on a train down with a load of Chelsea fans. And basically, once the sixth went in, I decided, no, nah, I don't fancy a train home with this lot. So uh, went and got an, got an earlier one uh, back up. So, yeah, missed the, missed the last half an hour, which doesn't sound like I actually missed anything. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was garbage, wasn't it? And, I mean, as Glenn says, we've done well against Chelsea in, in recent years by playing, basically matching up their system. Yeah of basically playing 3-4-3 three, three and kind of cutting off the supply to the to the wing backs and yeah i mean the i mean you only have to see the amount of space that alonso had for that first goal hmm. to see that clearly anything that we had worked on just went straight out the window and you had you, i mean you had individuals just making such basic mistakes um like they could barely pass 5 yards to each other and yeah, just a complete lack of lack of leadership, lack of lack of ownership of their own situation. Really, I mean, certainly the the, the system falls on the manager. Um, but even when you're out when you're out there as a player, surely you take responsibility in your own performance. Yeah. And I mean, there's barely anybody out out there. I reckon. I mean, Forster, Forster played well, and without him, it's double figures for me. But everybody else, I mean, would you give them a, a one for turning up? It's. I mean, you. I mean, Lekeep would give them all zeros, and I mean, you, you'd struggle to you'd struggle to argue with that. It was it was pathetic, and and the thing that is concerning is that despite the fact that we continually see this team making strides every so often, but we then seem to oscillate straight back to being an absolute shambles within like a few weeks, and without without anything really seeming to be the catalyst for it. There's no like there was no rhyme or reason why we went from that month of getting results against City, uh, Spurs, and Man United to then losing at home to Newcastle and Watford in the space of four days. It was just just baffling. And I mean, it's we're on that curve again now, aren't we? Where next week, realistically, we're probably going to be probably going to be crap again. Um, and then after that, we'll we might might sort of sort ourselves out, pull ourselves together, and and get back get back on the horse again but it's it's so frustrating that um we don't seem to be able to kind of plat, kind of find a sort of i mean yeah at the end of the day we're we're a mid-table team so we are going to be naturally inconsistent the players we've got the reason they're playing for us is because they're not of the level where they can put those top performances in week in week out hmm. but 
surely they they're they're able to at least have a sort of base level that isn't that isn't a two out of ten performance. That base level should be a I mean at least even if we're playing poorly, that should be a five maybe for people. But we're I mean I I can't I can't think of a team that that has such wild sort of fluctuations from being so good where they can genuinely compete with the top teams in yeah. um in the country. And then on on another given day, like literally a few weeks later, um, can look so absolutely pathetic. It's baffling, and mm-hmm. ultimately that that is that is Ralph's one thing that he needs to find a solution to at some point, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise, realistically, he's he's going to be hitting a glass ceiling as well as these players. So Finn Barkelly, who's watching on YouTube, says, Evening, lads. It's concerning that we can still put in these performances where we get completely destroyed. 6-0 was flattering. It could have been double that. Dan, do we think that these sort of maulings were behind us? Because I, I was starting to think that, that those days were gone. But yesterday, it, it all came flooding back. I certainly thought, thought they were gone. I thought one of the things that Southampton have improved at this season is their, their mentality they've shown in in other games that you know they can deal with, they have dealt with setbacks. But I think Ralph, after the game, said that he saw against Chelsea behaviours that even he thought had disappeared. And I can only imagine those those behaviours are just, as, as Glenn and Steve have already said, just the most basic of errors that, for some reason, his players can't understand or grasp the situation they're in. As Glenn said, the warning signs were there for five, you know, after five minutes when Timo Werner, who... I think has now scored more goals against Southampton than he has at any other Premier League team combined. You know, when he's hitting the bar from an open goal, you think, blimey, I mean, mm. this is a warning. And, and it just wasn't heeded. And, you know, the players just seem to go into this this mode where it's like, no, we'll carry on, we're fine. We're 4-0 yeah. down, but it's fine. But it's it's not. I mean, everyone in that stadium could see they are getting absolutely battered in every single department on that pitch, apart from the players, it seems, who just weren't able to read or clearly couldn't read the room. And as, as Steve said, I mean, we were talking about, you know, in January, we were saying, well, probably top half maybe off. And then they go on that really good run. Mm. And then you're thinking, oh, well maybe, well, maybe they can. And then they lose to Newcastle and Watford. You're like, oh, well, that's more of the Southampton. We know they are just consistently inconsistent. And I think we all said at the start of the season, you'd rather have fewer of the highs and fewer of the lows and more of the middle. But they are still just stuck in that rut of, they'll go on and they won't lose a game or they might lose one in 10. And then they go and lose to all the teams that they shouldn't lose to, lose to and play as they did against Chelsea. Um, I think I said before coming on air that yesterday or Saturday was the, the perfect combination of a team whose season is over versus a team that had had two pretty disappointing results, had been lambasted by their manager in public and behind the scenes and absolutely turned up with a point to prove. Mm. Um, Southampton should have known that was coming. Ralph said in the week that it doesn't matter how many games Chelsea have lost in a row, they are still a top, top team. But his players were just at sea from the, the first whistle to the final one. And it should have been 6-0 at halftime. And that game could have been 10, 11, 12. Chelsea stopped playing towards mm. the end and took their foot off Southampton's throat. But that could have been anything. I mean, they could have scored more than England's opening batsman in the Caribbean. So. <laughs> Not saying much. They did, didn't they? 
Glenn, let's go back to that starting lineup because we talked last week about the change from the the four two 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 and how it hadn't worked and and actually we thought he he might not go with it, but I think you said last week actually he probably will abandon the four two 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 again because that's how we played against Chelsea and got some results out of it. Yeah. So were you surprised to see the the team used and the the changes? Well, I think he in that League Cup game when he went to he went to three at the back, and I think that was more because he wanted to play all the other players and that was how it fitted with the eleven players that he wanted to play. But it worked well and he 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 he's used it against uh, in a couple of other games after that as well and, and it, it seemed to be a, a pretty decent alternative way of playing. I just I just thought, you know, against against Chelsea, as Steve said, you match up their formation and it and it seems to work. Like the four two 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 works very well against Manchester City. And and we've yet to find a formation that works well against Liverpool. So, but you know, we we had done something against Chelsea in the past. So I I was surprised that he didn't bring in a third, you know, either Jack Stevens or Jan Valery from the start. Let's face it, we wouldn't have missed Elianusi or or Stuart Armstrong yesterday because they they just just did nothing. So so I was surprised, and, and I was as I said earlier in my opening rant I, w- I was a little bit surprised that they they didn't at least have the players ready to switch to that formation should it be needed and to me it was needed after those two misses by Werner but you know indecision was final we waited another another five minutes and we're one nil down another five minutes and we're three nil down and mm. and and then the game's completely stuffed so I mean if you were gonna obviously Barosia couldn't play yeah, got you know if you're going to play four two two, you have to pick another striker. Shane Long's injured, so Adam Armstrong came in. I don't think anyone could have you know sort of complained about that that pick. Other than that, it's it's what has become established as our first eleven when he plays that formation. But I I just think it was the it was the wrong formation, and I, I was moaning to anyone who would listen to me <laughs> at the start of the game, sat in the ground. But the other thing I would say is that with with the players having the mindset that they seem to have yesterday, and you know the basics, not tracking runners and all that stuff, it wouldn't have mattered what formation he'd put out there. Mm-mm-mm. And I don't I don't think he did himself any favors. But with with the players playing the way they did, I mean, you know, I, I'm don't want to plug my blog too much but I, I you know I said it was like four training cones would have got closer to the Chelsea players mm. than those the four that we had in midfield and if you if you aren't willing to do the basics off the ball you you get beat by anybody let alone let alone a team as good as Chelsea with a point to prove as Dan said mm. so yeah I think I think the, the the rot was set with the starting lineup but I don't think that's by any means the uh you know the be all and end all of of, of why we lost because I, I don't think it would have mattered what he did and he the change lost. of change of shape before half time Steve that's always an admission that that something's not quite right and that perhaps he's got those tactics wrong yeah but I mean as as Glenn said that kind of came that was very much a sort <laughs> of uh shutting the stable door after the horse has bolted uh scenario wasn't it where actually if we if he'd I mean, I'm not necessarily saying you make a substitution three minutes in, but you can see the way this is going very, very early. And yeah, I mean, as 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 I say, when Glenn suggested it earlier, you maybe stick Romeo in as as a sort of stopgap centre half for for at least maybe even just give it ten minutes. Yeah, just to see if see if changing to that system kind of stems the flow a little bit. If it does, then okay, you can then look at okay, what do we do personnel-wise? Because we want to get Romeo back in the centre of midfield. Hmm. Who do we then sacrifice? Maybe still make a first-half sub, but ensure that your sort of key players are still are still in position and you've not disrupted things too much. He did um, that in the, in the Stamford Bridge game, didn't he, in the Premier League? He actually yeah. dropped Romeo into yeah. central defence because Chelsea, I think, went 1-0 up in that game. And he did, as Steve said, 
change yeah. it just to just halt the momentum. But... And it worked. And it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got back into the game in that game, and it was only. I mean, to be honest, there's there's an argument we'd have won that game if Prousey hadn't been sent off. Mm-hmm. We were well on top second half, and yeah, it's it's frustrating that lessons appeared to have been learnt, and now they appear to have been unlearnt, um, which is slightly concerning. But I mean, I, I actually kind of kind of disagree with the idea that. Um, that we kind of want to um, just a sort of flat. We don't. We don't want to have to experience the really high highs, sort of in exchange for having the really low lows. Because actually, I think that's a little bit more interesting. If we're if we're now assuming that we are a club that is probably in that, well, we'll have to do something pretty spectacular to get relegated. Mind then, what are you what are you playing for exactly? We're not getting. We're not going to get top four. European place um, via the league is unlikely, given the number of other teams with far bigger resources. Um, you would assume Newcastle are going to spend silly money over the next <laughs> the next couple of years to start um, start competing. So yeah, it's, it's, there's fewer places available. So what are we looking at? Ninth in a cup run? Okay, in which case, give me fun, um, make the games fun. Which, to be fair, I mean, lar- largely over the last two or three years, we've generally been quite good to watch even when we're a little bit calamitous but yeah i mean you you'd rather just cut out the cut out the silliness of of the really low lows and kind of just just push that push that sort of sort of floor up a little bit i can i can take us getting a hiding off off a big team if we set ourselves up to kind of go at them and their quality just pick their quality tells and they they pick us off and these things happen. Better, better sides than us have been given a hiding by um, by Chelsea before. Mm. But yeah, it's just just when when games like yesterday happen, where it does just seem as if nobody's kind of it's not even anybody's on the same page. It's like nobody's even opened the book. It's just just baffling and just immensely frustrating. Vanessa says I took my youngest for her first ever men's match at St Mary's yesterday. Oh. We left when the sixth goal went in. Uh, I think you did well, Vanessa, to stay that long. She said, I've never left early before, but I just couldn't bear to watch it any longer. I don't think you were the only one, that's for sure. Um, he so- went to bed thinking Timo Werner is the best striker in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, is this about test of character now for the rest of the season? And, and, and are we just in danger of all fizzling out now, do you think? Yeah, I think it almost has been already. Am I in denial a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I, you, you're looking for that kind of cliche reaction and then you're thinking you've got Arsenal and, okay, that result kind of kills Burnley today, I think, maybe. But they're, they're, you know, if they don't beat Southampton uh, after the Arsenal, then you think, okay, well, Burnley probably are definitely going to go down then. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what you can because it's just the same problems over and over and over again with these players, and you know, it, and Ralph does take his share of the, the blame for that as well because he is the one that is coaching him in the week. But for me, I, Ralph didn't react quick enough in the game, but the players, I think, really let let him down because they have played well against Chelsea in the past. And as Glenn said, the bare minimum is just try, try and get your man or try and win the ball, win the second ball, press like you know. I, I mean, I was watching clips back of. Shea, you've got the, the three Chelsea defenders and you've got Armstrong, Shea and Elianusi. And then like Shea's the only one pressing and you just think they just play around it all the time and everything was just disjointed. So, yeah, I, I don't know where they, they go from here. I'm sure Ralph will get, you know, put a firecracker up their backsides, but they, they don't listen because they still, they still get beat. So 
yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, bring on May. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? George says, um, what's the best way for us to realistically rectify these problems? Is it new players? Is it a different system? Is it the training? Is it the manager? Is it a bit of all three? Uh, or three or four there, Glenn, because there's a lot of things at the moment um, that don't seem right. It's, um, I mean, I, I personally think the limit for a lot of the players that we've got is getting to 36, 37 points, staying in the Premier League, then they're happy. They don't, Switch a lot off. of them don't seem to have the mentality of, I want to push on. I mean, I, I remember after we played the, the, the little run of games against the big teams where we picked up eight points in four games, whatever it was, we were all looking at the fixture list and going, Watford, Newcastle, this this will be where we prove we're either going to be top half comfortably. Um, if we'd beaten Watford and Newcastle, we'd be finishing ninth, something eighth or ninth, maybe. We lost to Watford and Newcastle. Now we're going to finish 15th. That seems to be the the massive turning point that you know a genuinely good side would have pushed on they wouldn't have lost to Watford and Newcastle but I, I just think that we we got the points we suddenly we were on 34 35 whatever it was you're looking at the bottom three cut adrift and going and, and Everton down there and, and thinking well you know we're not going to go down now foot off the gas so you're then looking at individual players to try and do it for themselves so you know or do something for themselves, I don't know. I mean, we always we always seem to pick on Nathan Redmond, but someone like him should be banging down the door, trying to get into the side to make a difference. You know, I mean, I was impressed with Will, Will Smallbone yesterday when he came on. Mm. He was the one highlight of the last sort of twenty minutes, if you like. He came on and actually tried, and I hope they give him a game next week because if Elianusi is going to play like that, then get in the bin, mate, and we'll get rid of you in the summer because that was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. So I'd, I'd like to see it shaken up a little bit with, but only with, you know, players have become first choice for a reason and players are out of the side for a reason. But someone like Smallbone who comes on and does well for 20 minutes, he deserves a shot. I felt sorry for Adam Armstrong as well because he did all right first half, but he, he got sacrificed. I mean, someone had to, mm. had to be to, to, bring, to bring Diallo on for the, for the damage limitation. But you know, I'd like to see him shake it up a little bit, and and those who have underperformed the last the last couple of games, it, you know, I don't want to go in too hard because he's young, but you know, Tino Livermento was terrible yesterday, you know. So let's have Perot back in the side for the next game. Let's just shake it shake it up a little bit, and just you know, send a message that these that sort of drop off isn't really acceptable. But the the players who come in have got to be prepared to step up. Mm. I think um, you should read out Super Saint Christophe's point because I think that's a very good one. This says, uh, so he says when Bednarek didn't want to play against City in the Cup in case he got injured before Poland's World Cup playoff, uh, the playoff game, uh, and Ralph agreed, uh, we surely got a problem there. Um, you, did you catch up with this, Steve? This was kind of when you were away. Bednarek's head wasn't in the right place, and so therefore we didn't play in our, yeah, our Cup game. Yeah, I saw that. It, it, it was all a bit odd. Yeah, I'm not I'm not keen on that, I must, I must admit. I mean, we're, at the end of the day, I, while I'm obviously supportive of any player wanting to play for their country, we pay the wages. And whilst you're whilst you're playing for us and whilst you're in whilst you're sort of not in an international period, then you're you've got to be in the right mindset to play. And yeah, I mean I I, I don't understand how he's just walked straight back into the team there. And and it's it's not as it's not as if he is like a Van Dyke figure where he's basically undroppable because he's so much better than everyone else. He's not. He's been he's been bang average for a year, maybe longer. Since he's and, his contract. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty much. And yeah, so I I don't I I guess the question is, 
do you trust the potential um, potential replacements to to perform to the same level? I mean, Jack well, tr- Stevens. Trouble is, Stevens came in against City, and it was really poor. So yeah, but part of the part of the problem is because we've now settled on a starting eleven that all the fringe players who were getting quite good game time earlier on in the season because we were rotating it a little bit every um, pretty much every game, um, sort of making two or three changes um, each time um to keep everything fresh now all of a sudden we're not making those changes and anyone who comes into the team is rusty it's the it's the yoshida factor isn't it you you give you give these guys a run of six or seven games and they get themselves up to the level but you you ask them to come into a big game first up um without having played for six weeks and up against the best arguably the best team in the in world football at the moment and yeah of course of course you're gonna get shown up that's that's the that's the reality of the situation. I think we need to, I mean, with with the Bednarek situation, I think a line in the sand possibly had to be drawn there. If if it is as black and white as Ralph seems to have said um, in the media, in that he said, "Well, his his head wasn't in the right place to play." I'm sorry, that's not that's not acceptable. You you sit on the bench for a while until your head is in the right place it's certainly a case i think like you say dan just bring on may and and see what might happen there glenn do you think we'll end up better than we did last year just looking back i think was it 15th last season 43 points we're going to be there or thereabouts this year as well aren't we yeah it's going to be it's not really progress it's not really progress no and in in some ways it's worse because you know last year we were decimated by injuries we had a very small squad this year we got a better squad mm. and you've got to be looking to improve having invested money and and bolstered the squad so f- finishing 15th isn't good enough and i mean you don't know what targets are set at the start of the season but it certainly wouldn't have been to finish exactly where you finished last season they would have been hoping for top 10 if not a significant improvement on the number of points gained and at the moment i mean i can't i can't think how many well it's hard to it's hard to look at fixtures and say how many points we're going to get we could we could well finish on 30, we're on 36 now we could well finish on 38 yeah the way the way things are going at the moment with a couple of flaky draws you know just make, making up the title we might not win again for the rest of the season we certainly won't if we play like we did yesterday and i'm thinking about to the other recent game where we were horrible at villa where it was a similar sort of thing where there was you know there was movement from midfield players and we just didn't go with them whatsoever so if, if we carry on playing like this we, we're gonna yeah we're gonna do it actually worse points wise than last season so i think ralph will be very very keen that that, that we sort it out, even if um, even if some of the players aren't, and I, I genuinely believe that some of the players, are, you know, are, it's the old cliche on the beach. I, th- I think a number of them are, and um, I must say, I didn't I didn't think too much of the Bednarek thing at the time because it was a cup game and and he was looking to rotate players anyway. But yeah, it is it is poor when you think about it that. Mm. Because I can't imagine that Bayern Munich rested Lewandowski or um, even Villa rested Matty Cash. Well, what was Southampton's? You know, that was their biggest game of the season, essentially. Yeah, you know, they won the FA Cup quarterfinal. That was you know they lost they lost that and their season's over. They had they won then. Yeah, and you know, but yeah. Well, the games don't get any easier. Arsenal next uh, at St Mary's, a three 0 defeat in December. Um, Romeo and Salazu were missing through suspension for that one. It's when Big Willie made his debut. Really, a day to forget. What sort of uh, game are you expecting on on Saturday from from Arsenal, Steve? Their form's been a bit up and down, but they're still hoping for for that top four finish. I mean, they are they are weird, aren't they? To to kind of follow as a neutral, but just just because there's so much noise attached to them on social media. I mean, their fan base are just 
oh god, they're pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Just what a what a bunch. Um, like literally, they'll be every... piling in on the comments on Good. YouTube. This um, like every like every every single win. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna win the league. Um, no, nothing can stop us now. We team team Arteta. He's he's the best manager ever. And then they go and lose at home to Brighton. Yeah, well done, lads. And now it's and now everything's a disaster. And um, and they should sack everybody and um, have a march to the stadium to uh, to get a new owner and and all this sort of nonsense. It's like oh, give us give it a break. Um, at the end of the day, Arsenal was still Arsenal a good team uh, with a good group of players that basically occasionally get ahead of themselves. They're not as good as they they're not as good as they think they are, and occasionally they need a massive kick up the arse. Kind of, well, I mean, kind of reminds you of someone, doesn't it, really? <laughs> so, yeah, you would imagine that at some point this week they will have that kick up the arse and they won't be quite as sort of abject as they as they apparently were yesterday at the Emirates. But at the same, at the same time, we've got a half-decent record against them. They're, they're certainly beatable. I mean, the fact that Brighton have gone there and scored twice. I mean, Brighton, the, the XG demons, who basically just go against the prevailing wind in every single game. I mean, if they're on top, you can guarantee they're not winning that game. If they're if they're under the cosh, then they might sneak it. But yeah, I, I think it'll be an open game, I would imagine, because Arsenal seem, that seems to kind of be the way that Arteta wants them to play. They like playing it out from the back quite a lot. Ramsdale, I think, has been a very good signing for them on that basis. I still don't rate him particularly, but he has had a, he has had a, a better season than I expected him to have uh, behind that back four. But they're, I mean, they seem to be miss, seem to be picking up a couple of injuries now. I think Party's out, isn't he? T- uh, Tierney's done for the season, and the Japanese fella at right back is still out. I think. Yeah. So we'll see our best mate Cedric again, I imagine. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be fun? I'm sure we'll get a, a nice warm welcome. Glenn, you were saying that they're, you know, they're nowhere near as good as, as Chelsea and it's going to be a, a different game. Can you see us getting anything out of this? It depends what team, what size team turns up. I mean, so consistent. Yeah, Arsenal, I, I mean, party being injured is, is massive and Arteta seemed to have a bit of a madness yesterday because I noticed he played Odegaard as one of his defensive midfielders and he moved Xhaka to left back to cover Tierney which just seems seems mad so he they didn't have a central midfield which probably you know half explains why they got beat by Brighton um he's got four sort of decent attacking midfielders you like Saka Smithrow Martinelli and Odegaard and he seems to try and shoehorn them all into the team you know occasionally one gets left out and that they they see they still have a slight sort of soft underbelly about them that that, that can be got at. I mean, you know, Lacazette's going to be in the news because he hadn't scored for about 12 years um, and he's coming to play against us. So He's got a good record against us. That's, that's get your money on him. That's a guarantee. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, they seem, the goalkeeper in central defence is better than it has been recently. Um, Ramsdale. It's quite a low bar though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But White and Gabriel aren't, aren't bad, but it, it's, nothing, it's nothing outstanding. We can get at them. Um, I look forward to watching... Brozier play against Gabriel. If we give Brozier the right service, Gabriel's a walking red card when he gets when he gets rattled. So that's that's something we got to play on. Um, I remember when we played we played him last year and we all we all dug into Cedric and he actually had a really good game, mm-hmm. um, which was really really irritating. But they're there to be beaten. You know, they'll they'll be better this week than they were 
you know, they were, sorry, they'll be better next week than they were this week. But I, I, I really don't see anything to be too scared of. But I'm assuming Saints are going to turn up. Um, if, if we turn up and we, we treat it like, you know, the games against the bigger size when we had our little run a few weeks ago, then then I don't see any reason why we can't get something. But if, if we turn up like yesterday, it's, a, you know, we, well, we might as well not turn up. And do you think we're going to set up more defensively, Dan? You were talking a bit about the pressing after the game and, and how it kind of left things open for Chelsea. Uh, it's, it's going to look a little bit different on at yeah. the weekend, surely. No, yeah, he did say that the the way the team defends next week, obviously alluding to Arsenal, that it will be completely different to to how we saw them play against Chelsea. But I kind of think the proof will be in the pudding of that. Uh, well, that, there's not really too much. I don't think he can drastically change the personnel are all the same, aren't they? Um mm-hmm. Lianko has been back in training, so maybe he brings Lianko in and drops Bednarek or, or Salasu, who shouldn't be immune to criticism. His levels have dropped considerably in recent weeks, I think. You know, he was, yeah, I mean, he's still young. That That's the only thing about Salasu. He's still only, what, 22, 23. But it, it's hard to be optimistic for the Arsenal game other than it is Arsenal. And of the kind of top teams, they probably aren't, they're, they're probably the worst of the top teams, in my opinion, anyway. But as Glenn said, if Southampton don't turn up, they they get another tonking, won't they? It, it all just depends on whether Southampton turn up, and that's the and that's crazy that we're even saying that. Mm. I mean, it's it's outrageous, really, that that we're actually thinking, well, Southampton might not turn up again, and if they don't, they get beat heavily again. Um, but if they do, Arsenal are nowhere near as good as Chelsea. They haven't got a striker. Neither did Chelsea, to be fair. Yeah, but that, that didn't stop them. I mean, I must stop digging out Timo Werner. Um, but I tell you, I tell you what, I, just on that, I thought Kai Havertz was brilliant yesterday. Yeah, he's superb. He yeah. was superb, and I've never really rated him that much. No. But he was great. I mean, mind you, I could still play football now if I was given the amount of space he was given. But, um, <laughs> there you go. Sorry, that's an aside. But yeah. no. Should we do some score predictions for the Arsenal game? As much as it, it pains me to ask, um, Steve, you, you've avoided this for a, a few weeks. Do you want to go first with your prediction? You know, I don't. I don't think I'd have got anywhere near any of the any of the. Um, actually, I think the Leeds one I might have, I might have picked, but other than that, I'd have been nowhere near. I'll take a muggy one-all draw. I think. Okay. Just um, just anything to stop the rock. Glenn. Oh God. Um, Pick a number out of the air, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, are we going to turn up or not? That should be the question each week. We'll replace it with that. Flip the the coin. Um, I'll I'll say we're due one more more bad one, so I'll go 2 0 defeat. Okay, I'm making a note of these. And uh, Dan? I'll just end on a positive note then and let's say 2 0 win, which I have no faith in whatsoever. (laughs) Play the percentages now, don't you? You'll get get good odds on that. I'm closing in on the uh, the title of league prediction, so I've got to play the men. Got to Devon Lockett. Yeah. Right. Uh, one more big story this week, and uh, that is that Matt Letizier stood down as uh, Southampton ambassador <laughs> after a controversial social media post. <laughs> uh, for the benefit of those listening, what's that on your head, Glenn? It's a Tim Four hat. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a bad idea. So on Tuesday, he shared a conspiracy theory regarding the killings of some civilians in Ukraine. He later deleted the post, just to be clear. He went on to clarify his position as well by saying the point was about media manipulation and making it very clear that he doesn't advocate war in any way, shape or form. He also said in his little statement he did online that it doesn't affect his relationship and his love for the club. He's always going to remain a fan and a supporter of everything Southampton. And he said, I will see you all at St. Mary's. Um, Dan, you wrote about that this week. We weren't sure whether he jumped or whether he was pushed, but you seem to think the club might have spoken to him in the past about this. 
the, the club have spoken to Matt uh, uh, the first time they they properly spoke to him was with the if you remember the Anne Frank meme um, he tweeted uh, I think that was 2020 I think kind of a few months into the pandemic at that point that was the first time obviously I think as we've kind of discussed off air a few times and in various other chats that it, it, it is an incredibly nuanced situation it's not an easy situation and I think I'd like to think maybe we're all level-headed people. For me, the line was crossed probably with the Anne Frank meme, mm. to be honest. I think that should have been the point where you just bite the bullet and enough is enough. But it, it carried on and it got to a point where it just culminated in what we saw last week and taking the whole football side out of it. It is an back. You just can't have... If you're Southampton Football Club and Matt has stepped away and I think he, he released a video on another platform saying that one of the reasons is because the club were getting, you know, they were facing quite a lot of criticism for having him as an ambassador because of his views. Equally, if if you're the club, I'm looking at that and thinking, well, we've done all this work around the pandemic and in the community. I think that the work the Saints Foundation did during that initial lockdown and, and beyond was, you know, it was superb, wasn't it? And then mm-hmm. around the vaccine, and then you've got an ambassador you know, saying what he's saying on Twitter. And I appreciate not all Southampton fans are on Twitter. So you could go down the high street and say, oh, what did what do you make of Matt's con? They wouldn't even know what you were talking about. You've then got all the, the kind of work the club did around BLM. And then you've got Matt giving his, his opinion on Twitter about that. You've then got the club shouting from the rooftops about how great they're doing from a sustainability point of view and kind of climate change. And then you've got an ambassador telling you that it, it's all nonsense and climate change isn't real, it's made up. And then you get to the point where you've got an ambassador implying that the media are making up images of dead men, women and children. At what point is enough enough? I think, as I said, enough 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 was enough for me with Anne Frank, but it's ultimately Matt's made the right decision. I think the club were going to be put in an incredibly difficult situation had he not made that decision. And it's best for all parties that Matt did step away rather than the club have to kind of push him over the edge so yeah it, it's just an incredibly difficult difficult one to address really because I mean it, it is just so nuanced but that mm. for me was it it's been two and a half years really isn't it of what we've all seen on Twitter and, and social media and yeah at some point you have to, to draw the line and but he crossed the line in a big big way I think and I think I saw on Twitter from a lot of fans as well I saw that, that the one about Ukraine I, I did really see a, the mood shift in a big way after that yeah and and glenn supporters will say um free speech you're entitled to your own opinion but mm. on this occasion it's it's much more than that now isn't it well you are a, you are entitled to freedom of speech i get that and and matt's big on that but that doesn't give you freedom from consequences you know to your words if if you want to say don't believe everything that's in the media that's fine but don't use you know a heavily corroborated <laughs> genocide tweet mm, mm. to to illustrate that point of view because it, it just amazes me that someone who's basically been working in the media for 20 years s- seems to be really lacking in media savvy you know before you press the button you know how this is going to be received and it will be it will you know he, he's saying that he, he just wanted to say don't believe the media but if you use that as an example then you you know what's going to happen and it's it's just in it's just staggering really i mean i 
it's obviously something in in his personality to 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 kind of have this sort of stubbornness about him if you think back to the way the way he played there would have been managers along the way I mean off the top of my head I'm thinking Terry Venables Ian Bramford who would have wanted him to play slightly different but Matt always did what he wanted to do he always probably to his detriment in terms of winning England caps and all that sort of stuff so he's always had this sort of element of his personality I mean I I will say it doesn't you know I'm, I'm almost exactly the same age as Matt and I watched his entire career and what for what he did on the pitch it will always be a legend in my eyes and I've met him two or three times and he's always been a, a really decent guy you know and I've always come away from those meetings three or four of them thinking you know what decent bloke you know never meet your heroes and all that but you know he's always he's always been sort of spot on but I I agree with Dan that line lines have been crossed and, and when you have the responsibility of being a being the club ambassador you you can't say these these sort of things and make these sort of comparisons without there being some sort of consequence and it's, it's just a shame and I, I don't want a guy who's sort of been a been a legendary figure for me throughout my sort of football journey um I don't want him descending to sort of David Icke levels of um of ridicule but that and and hopefully you know hopefully it kind of um it kind of stops but um we'll have to wait and see on that one it put the club in a, a very strange position, Steve, but we could see this coming, couldn't we? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's been building up pretty much since he left Sky, hasn't it? I think that, um, mm, yeah. I don't know where, I don't know whether part of it is that he simply had so much time on his hands. You end up down a, down this sort of rabbit warren on social media, watching, watching these YouTube videos where lunatics are, are <laughs> spouting absolute nonsense. And yet you kind of, I don't know. I, I don't really know how the brain works in that sense. In that he's obviously fall, sort of gone down these gone down these routes and has suddenly thought, oh, actually, yeah, maybe they've got a point. It's like really, hmm. it's and and Matt's always come. He's always come across as as being a fairly intelligent guy, and it's I guess frustrating, a little bit kind of upsetting, I suppose, as as someone who's who. I mean, yeah. I mean, similar to Glenn, I've, I've basically watched pretty much pretty much all of his career, apart from the sort of very early years. And yeah, the he was he was he was one of my heroes growing up, and and from a footballing perspective, still is. And I would imagine that he's had a lot of close friends um, sort of have a quiet word and say, "Look, Matt, are you are you sure you want to be going down this route?" Um, I don't I I don't know if Franny's you Franny do wonder, don't you, what had, Franny's made of it? <laughs> had words or. I mean, like even someone like um, Jeff Stelling or someone like that, Pe- people that he's worked with and is good friends with, have they sort of taken him to one side and said, "Look, come on, Matt, let's let's have let's have a chat about this and and let's let's see if we can see if we can sort this out." But as Glenn said, his his sort of his entire career has kind of been one of contrarianism. Hmm. He's always wanted to sort of go against the grain, be that different player um, and that different person. I mean, obviously, he turned down what two big moves to Spurs and Chelsea back in the day. When these days, any any player would make that jump instantly. They they wouldn't think twice about it. Nobody's going to stick around at, at Southampton if you're good enough to get in get in the first teams at, at Spurs mm. and Chelsea. And it's that contrarianism that now is kind of kind of counting against him because he's desperate to still be that opposing voice against against kind of the mainstream view, but. I mean, this this idea that oh, mainstream media is is lying to you. It's like no, the the, 
the reason why things are mainstream is because that's the commonly accepted truth and it's it's just inf infuriating you you kind of bang your head against a against the wall um when when you see some of the arguments and stuff on on social media and it's just like oh, right close that app for for 10 minutes so i can <laughs> i can just just ignore that and get back to um get back to normal it's horrible when you see his name trending on twitter isn't it you just think oh god, oh god what's he what, said now what now i don't think, I think we're going to be rushing to follow him on the new platform whatever that might be i think that the real question is is when are Glenn and Steve going to pitch themselves to to fill that vacancy for the ambassador? I mean, someone's got, someone's got to do the job. I've never I've never upset anyone on Twitter. Apart from Brian Gunn, apart from Brian Gunn, other than that, I'm fine. Martin I know Simmons, Martin Simmons, if you're watching, listening, here I am. I know Matt won't care, but uh, there used to be um, a, a beer named after him in my local pub, and I went in there at lunchtime um, just for for lunch, and they renamed the beer um, this week. So um, even they decided to to move away. Um, I've got two really quick questions from people that have been um, got in touch in the week before we go. Uh, James Gray, first of all, says, as the season draws to an anticlimactic finish, are you able to give us an insight into future academy graduates? There was that signing during the week, and how the whole academy system is going, given the struggles of our Premier league two side quick one for you dan i think signing during the week does is, is that kind of need to wait till may and, and and see where we are with that and and i know you were talking about the mixture of youth and some experience coming in. is that the balance they're going to be looking for next year yeah i think obviously you're referring to don ballard who, who signed his first pro contract has been just kind of scoring goals for fun for the b team this season i mean i'd be shocked if we kind of see him in the in the squad before the end of the season i i mean it, you're kind of step on quite a few players toes in that regard that you Nathan Tellers and so on who probably think they're they're ahead of him in the pecking order but it was an important one for the for the club to to sign because he is scoring goals and we are seeing academy players move around quite a lot at the moment Saints obviously lost one of their most talented ones to Man City last year so really important that they got that deal done uh, in terms of the summer yeah it, it's something that has been mentioned to me in conversations with various contacts that that the club kind of looking at not I don't want to say ready-made players but certainly with a bit more experience than the the ones they have been looking at in the past and they would they are still going to go after their kind of Tino Livramentos but I think yeah. if you look at that the the links with with Tete for example who's ended up on loan with Leon until the end of the season I mean that's a completely different tier of player that no one really expected Southampton to be to be looking at and he's certainly not ready-made but He's certainly on a different level to, you know, with no disrespect whatsoever, Musa Genepo when they signed him, for example. So, yeah, I think there'll be a, a combination. And Ralph did also say that, you know, they are going to look at maybe a couple more ready. And that's what they need. You know, if they want to be a top 10 team, hmm. then they need two top 10 centre-halves. You can't have Salasu and uh, whoever moves on. You know, I know they're drawing up a shortlist for, for new centre-halves. You can't have Salasu and the... Uh, a 19 year old you know if you are going to end up losing either jack or yan you have to replace them with someone of salas who's quality i know we've just said he's, he's dropped off but he's still a quality center half mm. or if not someone a little bit older than salas who, who's got that experience 
that's what they need to do. And I think they, they realise that. Uh, Matt Prince is in Shropshire. He says, Saints fan through and through, but so many times we've been carved open. Can we focus on consistency when defending as a unit rather than seeing photos of players chucking sponge balls at each other on 50 grand a week? Love the podcast, um, says Matt. Steve, I don't think we're going to see those sort of pictures on social media this week. Just something tells me that. Yeah, I mean, playing playing dodgeball in, in training in warm-up to a game where you have spent the 90 minutes dodging the ball went well, didn't it? It's just... Um, <laughs> just, uh, just. I mean, thing is, this this sort of thing always happens, doesn't it? They they put out something in on social media during during the week. It looks like, I mean, all it is is it, it's a it's something for fifteen twenty minutes or so yeah. during training to kind of keep the mind focused and do some do something slightly different because otherwise training must get quite boring if it's regimented and and everything's kind of same old same old you you kind of lose the impact of it um so yeah you you mix up the sessions and you do something different a little bit fun and yeah like the videos were quite funny um but then yeah you you then can't put out the sort of performance that we, that then followed um on the saturday so i would imagine it'll be a much more sort of down to business with a big punching emoji Bouncing back. Um, yeah, bouncing back, looking looking to rectify mistakes type uh, type posts and galleries and stuff this week. I'd imagine it will be um, yeah, it'll be all it'll be all business this week. You would have thought. hoping. Uh, some good news to finish with: the Saints women's team have gone top of the National League. They won five nil um, over Hounslow, which is good. Ipswich dropping some points, so um, they've leapfrogged them. Five matches left to go, so that is a, a positive to finish on. Um, before we say goodbye, um, shout out to our loyal and much loved patrons. Our top tier is the Matt Letizia tier for now. Um, Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, Phil Cook and Nick Higston. In the Francis Benali tier, we've got Nick Reed, Matt Hall and David Melton. You can find out more about becoming a TSP patron and the benefits that come with that on the website. Thanks to Glenn. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Dan. It's been a, a tough week this week, so uh, thanks for your contributions. Don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you're listening. On the socials, it's at Total Saints Pod. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook. You can always email us a question as well via the website. And don't forget the TSP 200 live show is going to be happening on Friday the 27th of May and that'll be at the Five Rivers Sports Bar in support of the Saints Foundation and the link to buy tickets is in the description for the podcast. Thanks for listening tonight and we'll see you again soon. Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.